finding in your Bibles, uh, Joshua chapter 24, and we're going to start there this morning. Um, I hear Bob Dylan songs in the strangest places and at the oddest times. Um, when we came back from uh, overseas the last time, and as often is the case from coming back from overseas for, after being away for several years, I needed dental work. And uh, before we came back to here, we went to Little Rock, Arkansas for a while, so just found what looked like would be a good dentist office, a big office on a hill, uh, and just went, th- made an appointment, went there, get whatever I needed done. And they took, it needed some extensive work, so they took me back in the room, and of course they put me in the chair, they leaned me back, and, and they asked me, they said, would you like such and such? And it's a big word, and I was like, okay. <laughs> and uh, they stuck this tube up my nose, and then they turned on the gas. And it, when they turned it on, it was like, Phew. And, you know, I imagine there's settings on that that say, like, mouse, cat, dog, adult, a child, human child, human adult, elephant. And they turned me up to elephant. <laughs> And I could, I could hear it rushing through, I, it was, and I didn't like it. And uh, I'm leaning back, and I, I didn't like it so much, I was reaching with my hands to pull the tube out of my nose, and when my hands got here, it was like, ooh. <laughs> ooh. And I'm just, I'm just laying in the chair doing my hands back and forth going, ooh. <laughs> and, and they come back in the room, and they say, are you okay, Mr. Jackson? I'm like, I'm fine. I have hands. <laughs> and, and, they, and they just walked back out, left me there, sitting on the elephant. And um, as I'm waiting there, and it seemed like I was waiting forever, long enough to question how old am I, what's going on, where am I? And this, they had the music going, and they had it on the 60s, and Bob Dylan's song comes on. And I'm laying back there, I'm like, This is what the 60s were like. (laughs) And they were not good to me. They were not good to me at all that day. Uh, But um, another time, oddly enough, reading scripture that a Bob Dylan song comes to my head is the verse I'm going to read today. It's Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Whenever I read that, I hear that chorus, you're going to have to serve somebody. Um... The background here is that this is towards the end of Joshua. Joshua is approaching the end of his life, um, and he's he's sort of giving them the, his last charge, his last sermon, his last his last opportunity to stand before them and set the Israelites, who he's lived for since the time that Moses passed away, through the conquest of the of the Promised Land, and he's saying to them, "You've got to serve someone." 
And it's kind of surprising that he has to say the things he says here about, you know, are you going to serve the gods your father served beyond the river? You would think that they had already cast those aside, that that was already out of mind. I mean, you think back to Egypt and all the plagues and the miracles that God did to bring them out of Egypt. You think about the way he brought them through the wilderness. You think about the way they saw their, their fathers judged for their sins in the wilderness. You think about all the great things that God did, and you would think, surely only the Lord God is on their mind. Surely only the Lord God is who they would serve. But Joshua has to say to them, turn away from other gods and serve the true God with sincerity and faithfulness. That word sincerity is interesting. It basically means serve him with integrity, serve him with oneness. That every aspect of your life, family, work, spiritual parts, every aspect of it is focused on serving God. It goes against the idea of having this compartmentalized life where I, I, I serve God on Sunday and Monday through Friday I, I, I'm just doing my work. It's that every part of your life is to be brought under his lordship and it's meant to serve him. Now what shaped Joshua's understanding here and what was going on with the people? Because sadly we see throughout the history of Israel they had a, a, a tendency to turn to other gods when the time was right. You know, they had a tendency, I mean the book that comes after this, Judges, is just one continuous cycle of Serve God, start worshiping other gods, get judged, say, God, please help. And it just goes on and on and on. And I'm kind of in my Bible reading to the end of Judges right now. And it is a depressing book to read. But here they are, and Joshua's speaking to them. And there's been things in his life that shapes his understanding of what it means to serve God. And we're going to look at those today, the key, what I call, consider to be the key passages in Joshua. Now, the first time I read through the book of Joshua, when I was about 18, 19 years old, it was the first time I really sat down to read Scripture all the way through. I got to Joshua, and I got very confused about the message, because the message didn't seem to me to be you're going to have to serve somebody. It seemed to be you're going to have to kill somebody. Because there's just killing all over the place in the book of Joshua. And it really bothered me. But as Israel entered the promised land under Joshua's leadership, there were three things that happened that shaped Joshua and in turn shaped our understanding of who is and who is not a part of God's people and what it means to serve God. So let's start by looking back in Joshua chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. This is before the battle of Jericho, before that event. And it's Joshua is, the Israelites are by the city, and Joshua is looking at the city. And it says there, starting in verse 13, uh, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us? Or for our adversaries? 
And he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? To serve God, the first step you have to do is choose sides. See, we live in a society that's greatly concerned about uh, what side are you on. Whether it's sports, are you Auburn or Alabama? Uh, Are you Georgia or Florida? Uh, I'll stop there. I don't want to get into that sermon. (laughs) I do have an opinion on the subject, but I won't get into it. Um, It could be politics. Now, are you left or right? Are you conservative, liberal? Are you Republican, Democrat? Uh, and, then, and it just keeps going. I mean, you look at our own city and the politics that's here and how it's one side or the other. People, I mean, society wants people to figure out what group they belong in, what their identity is, whether it's sexuality, whether it's ethnicity. What is your identity so that we can know what side you're on? so that we can know how we should react to you and treat you. But when it comes to God, there's only two sides. You know, we can get all holy here looking at the world and say, oh, we're not into all that. But aren't we? I mean, don't we get into, okay, I mean, let's face it, you know, there are... 350,000 types of Baptists in the world. And we continuously subdivide and subdivide and subdivide till we get to the ones we like. And then we compartmentalize there. We choose sides. We promote our side. You're either for us or against us. Now, now we, as Christians today in this country, we are like, oh, woe is me, nobody likes me. Guess I'll go eat worms. But that's not what Scripture talks about. See, we, there's just two sides. And as Joshua was standing there in front of Jericho, and he sees this man, and he, his concern is, are you for us or against us? Are you with us or with our enemies? And this man says, no. Nope. Because that was the wrong question. Who was this man? We get an ideal because of how Joshua reacts to him. He bows down. He worships him. Now, if you look throughout Scripture and you see those places where someone bows down to someone else and worships, if it's an angel, the angel says, get up, get up, stop doing that. If it's another man, the, if It's a man of God. They say, get up, get up, don't worship me. Joshua bows down here, and this man doesn't say, get up, stop worshiping me. The person standing before him, according to a lot of Bible scholars, is what we we consider a a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ. Christ is standing there before him, speaking. And Joshua bows to him because the real question was not to the man, whose side are you on? It was to Joshua, whose side are you on? 
Christ is on no one's side. We're either on his side or we're not. Christ's interest was not Joshua's interest. Joshua had to submit his interest to Christ. Christ's interest is not our interest. We must submit our interest to Christ. What mattered was if Joshua was on his side. See, the dividing line that matters between us and them is not where we often put it. It's not political. It's not ethnic. It's not economic. It's not even a national border. The dividing line that eternally matters is between who bows to Jesus and who doesn't. That's it. And that truth becomes even clearer as we look at two other events that surround Jericho here. The first that I'm going to talk about had already taken place in chapter 2. I'm going to look at verses 8 through 13 of Joshua chapter 2. And the first here gives us a surprising indication of what Israel should have considered to be us. Uh, Joshua chapter 2 verses 8 through 13. Before this, these verses take place, Joshua has sent two spies into the promised land to spy things out to see what they're like. Now, that's an interesting choice. It's a whole other sermon. That would be three. But, you know, Joshua sends them there. He sends two people. They spy out the land. They go to the city of Jericho. They are in the city of Jericho. And something is happening. They've been detected somehow, and they need to hide. And Rahab hides them. Uh, Verses 8 through 13, she has hid them. She sent the people pursuing them away. And it it says there in verse 8, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, um, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you for the Lord your God he is God in, in, the, in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with me, with my father's house, and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Now who was Rahab? Picture this, you are an Israelite, and all you've heard from Moses and now from Joshua is that when you enter the promised land, God is going to judge the Canaanites, and he's going to wipe them all out. And as you go in, you are to kill, you are to destroy, you are to destroy everything dedicated to the Lord, do away with it. Canaanites are them. Canaanites are bad. Canaanites are evil. Canaanites are under God's judgment. Who was Rahab? She was a Canaanite. She was one of those who had been set aside for destruction. She was sexually immoral. But above all else at this moment, 
she feared God, and she gave her life to him. And as a result, her life was saved. She became a part of Israel. Mentions that later in Joshua in chapter 6, verse 25. In Matthew, in Matthew 1, we, lead, we, uh, we read, or even in the Old Testament, we read she, was, she married and she became the great-grandmother of David, and as a result, she was an ancestor of Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 11, her faith is one of those that is commended in the, what we call the Hall of Fame of Faith. In the book of James, James commends her as an example of how our works demonstrate our faith. She stands out. She was pointed to in Scripture as an example, but she started out as a Canaanite designated for destruction. There's three great truths we see here in Rahab's life. One is the ideal of us, those of us who know Christ. It's not a closed set. It's something anyone can join. You know, we look at the world and say, oh, they're Politics is off. They could never know Jesus. Oh, they, they, ad, they identify in a different way sexually. There's no way they could know Jesus. Oh, they're Muslim. There's no way they could know, come to know Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the way. See, us is not what, the way we often want to define it. God has a bigger view of who us can be than we can imagine. In fact, in Scripture, at the end of time, it speaks of people from every tribe, nation, people, and language. Paul spoke to the Corinthian church and said, you know, the sexually immoral, the effeminate, the homosexual, they they cannot be a child of God, but such were some of you. Us can be anyone who comes to Jesus. What we, another great truth here is what we fear indicates what gods we serve. We, have, we, are, we live in a world motivated by fear. You look at the news, what is the primary way they try to get you to click? the article, or watch the news show. Here's something you need to be afraid of. We have political fear. We have financial fear. We have societal fear. Any little thing can throw us into a panic and frenzy. I wonder if there's a recent example I could point to. You know, The other thing we see in Rahab's life is that those far from God need to hear what he has done. When Rahab talked to these spies, what did she say? She said, I heard. I heard about what God did. We heard the stories. We heard how he brought you out of Egypt. We heard how he helped you defeat these other kings. We heard about God. And now I know he is the one God who rules over everything. Why should we care if people hear the good news about God? Why should we care if people hear the gospel? 
Why should it matter to us if on the other side of the world they hear the gospel? Why should it matter to us if someone here in Milton hears the gospel? We should care because God cares. And if you serve him, if he is the one you genuinely are serving, you will care as well. Make that others hear the gospel, your lifestyle, and the way you serve. Make sure that people see Christ in the way you live and from you can hear the gospel. Rahab surprises us as a part of God's people. Joshua's idea of serving God was likely shaped by her. And another experience that surprises us is that when those we think know God, when those we think serve God, don't act like one of God's people. The battle of Jericho takes place after this. Rahab, her family, they are saved and brought out of the city. The next battle, the next place to take down the road is this little place called Ai. And, you know, they think about it and say, oh, it's just a little place, let's just send part of our troops. They don't, they don't ask God anything before the battle of Ai. And really they should have, because if they had of, then perhaps God could have let them in on what was happening. Uh, Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. It says, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things for Achan, the son of Carmi, uh, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, and of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things. That when they were in the battle of Jericho, Achan, whose family tree is put there, I guess giving the family tree in the Old Testament is the same as parents using first, middle, and last name. You're really in trouble. But... Uh, Achan took some of the things that were supposed to be left in Jericho and destroyed. See, they were not supposed to take any of the spoil. They were not supposed to take any one. It was all to be destroyed. Achan, however, took something. And because of that, when they went to Ai to do battle, they got whipped. They had broken faith. God was not with them. And as a result, they lost. Now, what is it about Achan here that should surprise you? See, Achan was an Israelite. He was born in the right family. He was born in the right ethnic group. Ethnically, he was in. He was a soldier for Israel. Militarily, he was in. But his heart wasn't in. In chapter 7, verses 19 through 21, they've lost the battle. They're trying to figure out what went wrong. God has told them what happened. They're casting lots to see who is responsible for the sin. It comes down to Achan. In verse 19, then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God in Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and 200 shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them and took them 
And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver under it, underneath it. See, everything that was in Jericho was meant to be left there as something that belonged to the Lord, dedicated to him. Achan stole from God. Rahab became a part of God's people. Achan, by his life and his choices, indicated that he was not a part of God's people. With a Bible that teaches Rahab is us and Achan is them, we need to change our definitions of us and them. See, we live in a world that is being turned upside down. Western countries, Western society is becoming, is headlong becoming more and more secular. In the meantime, on the other side of the world, in the past 15 years, we've seen more Muslims leave Islam to put their faith in Christ than the 1,400 years before that. In light of that, maybe we need to change our idea of who is us and who is them. Who do you bow to? What do you fear? Who is hearing the good news from you? How do you define us and them? See, as servants of God, if we are truly with our whole lives serving him, then we have to accept and recognize that others are serving him as well, and they may not look like us or talk like us or be like us. We must embrace our fellow servants regardless of their backgrounds. And when God is the focus of our life and our service, and when we serve him with integrity and faithfulness, we are able to answer these questions that I just asked. I bow to Jesus as my Lord. I fear God alone. I am telling others about Jesus. I am praying for the lost. I am supporting those who go out and share the gospel. I embrace all my fellow servants as co-laborers and see everyone Everyone, here and out there, no matter who they are, as potentially being one of us and one with us. Joshua tells us that, teaches us that lesson subtly, but it, he teaches us that lesson. Israel would forget that lesson. In the time of Christ, they would have forgotten it. When the gospel after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension went to, the, went to the Gentiles, they would question, whoa, 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 didn't know that they could be one of us too. Let us not do the same thing. Let us open our hearts to all people to share the gospel to all who have need of it. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you that you loved us that you didn't leave us on the outside, that you didn't leave us without knowing you, that someone somewhere shared the gospel with us and we came to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, there may be people here this morning who have not made that decision, who have not turned to you and repented of their sins. Father, I pray that they would not leave here today without doing so. Father, I also ask that if there's anyone here who 
for whatever reason, has shut their hearts to those who are different. Shut their hearts to those who are actually your people. That they would come to repent of that and to live in a different way. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to have an invitation right now. If you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come. If you are being led by the Lord to join us at that church, we invite you, in this church, we invite you to come. Whatever, however the Lord is leading you, we invite you to come.